Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church, go to www.anchorchurch.life. That was like a modern storytelling of the prophets that foretold and predicted and were uh, inspired by God to write the things that they wrote down and talking about the coming of, of this one that was gonna be known as Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so that was who all those, those men were. They were the prophets, and that was a symbolization of all the prophets that were writing this in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's two major parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament was written a long time ago um, by a lot of authors, a lot of, lot of authors, and it's written into a lot of different categories, a lot of different things. There's kings, there's the creation, there's the prophets. And, and so within the prophets, we see this storytelling of this, this king that was coming, this, this, this savior of the world. God with us is gonna be coming to rescue all of us. And, and then... And then there wasn't really much to be said after that for some time. And we'll get into that in a moment. But today is the start of our Joy to the World series, and it's all about Advent. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Advent or not. Uh, growing up, I wasn't familiar with Advent uh, a whole lot. Uh, I went to Episcopal Church when I was a kid, and we celebrated Advent there, and I still didn't really understand it all that much, and I know that within the Catholic Church they do, and, and it's a, there's a lot of different churches that are celebrating and recognizing Advent because they recognize the importance of understanding, understanding the coming, which is the arrival of Christ. It's slowing us down in the hype and the hysteria of the Christmas season, and it is allowing our hearts to be prepared for what, is, what the season really is all about, the reason for the season, as they say, right? So each week, we will light a different candle that represents different things. And this week is the prophet's candle. That's why we showed the creepy video, okay? All right, but we're gonna light the prophet. We're gonna, I'm not showing that next week. Um, but we're gonna light the prophet candle to represent the, the coming of Christ. And this is, the, this is what it's all about. Now, see, we have a wreath up here and, that, and it's in a circle, and it represents and it symbolizes the eternal life that can be found in Christ, because the ring just keeps on going. I used to have a song when I was a kid, but I'm not gonna sing it now. Um, ask me to sing it later when it's an audience of just you and me. Um, and, then, um, and then we light a candle to recognize the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, okay? And there's not a whole lot of anything special about the candles, the candle colors. You may have grew up with knowing that there are certain candle colors. There's a lot of symbolism and there's a lot of things, but the two main things is to understand that the wreath is all about the eternal life that can be found in Christ and he is the light of the world and he is coming into the world. So each week we will light a new candle recognizing the light of the world coming into this world and we'll light the fifth one right here in the center on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, and so with that being said, we're talking about hope today. And that this is the prophet candle, and hope is found all throughout Scripture, and we can see that the coming of Christ uh, is mentioned throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, and it is known as hope, and hope is coming. And uh, how, does, how, how do we define that? How do we look at that? How can we see the understanding of what hope is? Uh, I think that at times we, we often look at hope as like, well, I'm hopeful that that's going to happen, and so we are kind of just, we have this definition of hope that really is... Um, you know, I, I want this to happen, or I really just, I, I, I really want to see this to happen in my life, and so I'm hoping that it happens. 
But the Bible defines it in a much different way. We're gonna get into the definitions too. I've got another video to show you about the definitions of hope and how it fits in with the Old Testament, the New Testament, the prophets. But I think about it like this. Have you ever gotten a text from somebody? Maybe you were like meeting up with somebody and they, they sent you a text and it said, OMW. Y'all know what that means? On my way, right? OMW. I'm on my way. But what, it, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like for some people, it's like, oh shoot, I woke up late. I'm on my way. Like let me get ready and take a shower and like, you know, what, like, or they could be like five minutes away. I don't know if you've noticed it before, but when you type in OMW on your phone, like it's like all of a sudden it's all caps and like iPhone actually switches it to spell it all out, but, it, but with, with an explanation point. Like so, like you could be asking somebody, you know, hey, where are you? And, and you know, you're trying to say, oh, I'm, I'm on my way. But really you're saying, I'm on my way. <laughs> That's how people read it, right? And so, so it just makes matters a whole lot worse. On my way. And so... We think about Jesus, we think about this time it was found in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it has this idea of hope and this, and this understanding of, of waiting. That like when we, are, when we are waiting for somebody and they say that they're on their way, what does that really even mean? We don't know how long. It could be 10 minutes, it could be 25, 30 minutes. Who knows what that means? And I think that Christmas... If we're not careful, we can get consumed with a lot of different things. We can get consumed in actually spending and being a consumer. We can get consumed in focusing on the wrong things. But Christmas, for, the, for me, this year is the first time I'm gonna have Christmas without my father. And I know that some of you go through seasons and you go through, through time where you are experiencing a new season without somebody in your life. And that can be difficult, that can be hard. And we start to focus on a lot of different things. And, and honestly, we start to look at, all, you know, if we're not careful, we look at all the things that we really are waiting on. Like maybe we're waiting on a job. We've been thinking that this job's gonna happen for a long time or I haven't been able to find work or whatever the case may be. And so I'm waiting on this job. Sometimes it's just waiting on a relationship, right? Like we're, I, I wanna meet my future spouse. I've been waiting long enough. Like it is time, okay, God? Like where, where is he, where is she? But we, we, we're waiting on a spouse. And if, like I said, this season really can highlight this. It can put a magnifying glass on the things that we truly are waiting on. We could be waiting on a child. We could be waiting on a child to come home. We could be waiting on being able to overcome our debt situation. We've been, maybe we're waiting on a diagnosis. Maybe we're waiting on a miracle, a breakthrough. Maybe we're waiting on one of our friends, a dear friend or a family member to come to Jesus. It can really highlight all the things that we're waiting on if we're not careful. And that's why I think it's so important for us to understand the biblical definition of hope really is just this confident expectation. We can have a lot of hope in a lot of different things, but if we can have a confident expectation that this is going to happen, in the Old Testament, the prophets declared these things that were coming, declared the Christ, declared Emmanuel, God is with us, that is going to be coming. And so everybody was hopeful and they waited they got the on my way text, basically, OMW, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when you go to uh, the, the New Testament to the Old Testament, there's like one page here that just is that transition between the two major parts of the Bible. It's just one tiny little page, and that one tiny little page really represents about 400 years. Really think about that, because we go from one page to the next if you're reading through Scripture, 
but that one page represents a long time. For some people that were hearing these prophets say the things that they were saying that were on the screen, they're like, okay, cool, yeah, he's on his way. This is gonna happen. God is gonna be with us. He's gonna be here. He's gonna help us. He's gonna rescue us. He's gonna be able to prepare a way for us to be able to understand and to live our lives with him. Like, he's, he's on the way. And then 50 years pass by. That's a long time. Think about 50 years ago. I wasn't here. 100 years ago. I mean, then all of a sudden, 100 years passed. Like, we throw out years all the time, like Christopher Columbus, you know, sailed the ocean blue. Like, we, like it's almost like it didn't really even happen, but it happened over 500 years ago. These prophets and these people that were living at this time, the Israel, Israelites, everybody, they waited 400 years from generation to generation to generation for the coming of Christ. They were hopeful, but they got the, if you're texting, the three little dots, right? Like God texted, hey, I'm on my way. And then he kind of just, it felt like he just left them hanging there, dot, dot, dot. And they're, they're leaning in, trying to figure out, okay, wh when's this gonna happen? When's this gonna happen? And that's, that, we don't have a whole lot of a record that happened in that 400 years. We, just, we jump 400 years into the future. And that's when Matthew taught, walks us through uh, the family tree of Jesus. So all of a sudden, it's, it, it's this period of time, 400 years, where they're like, on my way, where are you at? <laughs> where are you at, God? Where are you? We've been hopeful. We've been waiting. In Matthew chapter one, we put it on the screen. No, wait, I don't have to fool with that. We see the genealogy. I don't know if you guys are interested in genealogy, but we see the genealogy of Jesus. And, and this, is, this, is so, this is so boring, one, <laughs> but it is so important for us to, to recognize and to realize what is actually happening here. Because it connects the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament that we can find and see where Jesus is coming from. And there's some beauty that can be found in the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Go to verse two. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah. And, and what we see here in just this, just this verse, Abraham was, was promised a son of his own by God. And you know what he had to do? He had to wait. He had to wait 20-some years before he finally birthed Isaac. He didn't actually do it. It was his wife, Sarah, but you're with me, right? They had to wait a long time for that to happen. Sarah was old. They were both very old. But Isaac finally fathered. Oh, and then go back. And then uh, Isaac then himself fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah. And there was a period of waiting that happened in all of this. You can go to the next one, sorry. And Judah fathered Perez, and, and it goes so on and so forth, and it keeps going. Keep going real quick. I'm gonna highlight some names here. We see Abram. We see, uh, keep going, Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, Boaz, they had to, Rahab had to wait on Boaz. Keep going. It just keeps going here. Uh, and then Jesse fathered King David. So we realize that King David comes from the genealogy and the, and the, and the, the family line as, as a prostitute. This is all going and keeping and going into the genealogy of Jesus. And then uh, keep going. Keep going. 
all these names, you just keep clicking until we get to verse 16. You see all these names here that are part of Jesus. And we see that there's stories behind each and every single one of them. There's times of exile. There's times uh, of people waiting on what was coming. And finally, we get here, and Jacob, Father Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so what we see in this line, in this genealogy of Jesus, is that, that Jesus comes from a family of misfits. You think about the island of misfit toys from, from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Basically, everybody that was in line with, G, with, with Jesus, there's, there are people that, that, that you would have never imagined that were a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And here's what's so beautiful about the way that Matthew put this together for us is that he didn't shy away from showing and revealing what was a part of his past because it shows and reveals in us just how we come from potentially a line of, of people that, that you, it's the least likely. And Jesus was the least likely. As a matter of fact, when, when he was, when he was uh, on his way, when he was coming, um, everybody was expecting this to be a king. And the prophets talked about this king that was coming. And so a lot of people just imagined him stepping into the light as this king, this ruler. Imagine now, we're, we, know, we know the story. We know that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't know what to expect. Was he gonna be this ruler that was, all of a sudden he just steps into the light and we're like, oh, we could have seen it was him the entire time. We, we should have seen that coming. When they heard that this baby was born, this Messiah, they come running to meet the king and they find that it's a newborn baby. And in that moment, they realize we gotta wait even longer than we thought. But he's here. It's the beauty of coming and, and to, to know who, who Christ is. I wanna share, oh, I wanna share this with you. There's a story that I was reading about this, uh, this doctor. And uh, this was in the 1950s. And he was getting his, his chairs reupholstered, which makes sense because it's the 1950s. We don't do that anymore. We just throw them away and buy new ones, right? <laughs> but in the 1950s, this, this, uh, this doctor had all his chairs in his, in his waiting room that needed to be reupholstered. And so he hired a guy to come in and, and, and take the, the old fabric off and to put the new fabric on. And one thing that the, the reupholster noticed about the old chairs was that they were being worn out right here on the edge. He says, really unusual because when I reupholster chairs, usually I have to reupholster them because they're so worn out on the, on the inside, on the far back. He said, it's very unusual about your waiting room that all the chairs are worn out just on the front. It was so unusual, as a matter of fact, that the doctor looked into this. He said, well, what's the, what's the purpose? Why, why is this happening? He's a cardiologist. And so when people are waiting in his room, they're, they're nervous. They're on, they're on the edge of their seat, literally waiting on whatever it is that they might be hearing from the doctor. And so the doctor's thinks and he, he does some studies and he does some research on it. He says, okay, are they waiting on the edge of their seat because they're waiting in the cardiologist doctor's office or are they waiting in their seat because that's just a, a character trait of theirs? That, that, that people that come to the heart doctor are having heart problems because they are so nervous 
about a lot of things, and so they're waiting in my room. And that's what he discovered. He discovered that a lot of people that are having heart problems are ones that nervously wait on things. This is a common trait. And this, is, this same doctor is the one that, that birthed the idea of type A, type, type B personalities. But he noticed that, that, that because, of, because of the doctor's office, it was, not, it was more about the person that was sitting there rather than the reason why that they were it, they were there. And so I was thinking about this, and I think that we have that tendency to get nervous and wait. And, and we, can't, we can't comfortably sit in our seats and understand what truly waiting means when we're waiting on any one of these things that we, that we wait on. Spouse, child, child to come to Christ, a friend to come to Christ, or just even that job, whatever the case may be, we nervously wait on things rather than trust. See, we think about hope, and we think of hope being this, this thing that, like, I hope that it happens. Like, I really just, I, I, I want this to happen really bad in my life. And you, you just keep hoping, and, and that's a nervously waiting rather than swi- switching over to the confidently expecting and understanding that this hope is something far more than just wishing it to happen. We gotta recognize that, that God is bigger than us and that we're important to his plan. If you're, I don't know if you're taking notes, but you can write that down. It says you are important to God's plan. He has a plan for our lives. When we talked about that last month in, in the story in the, in the, as we talked about prayer, that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we're, a part, we're, we're important in that big piece of the, of the pie of, of what he wants to do in our lives. We've gotta realize that, that this life is, is really bigger than us. Sometimes we get so focused on the things that we want, when we want them, and Christmas can be all about that, the consumption, rather than placing it in his hands and hoping and and understanding that it's way bigger than us. There's a quote here from Theodore Roosevelt that says this. There's a special galaxy. He's in just a little pretext into this. He uh, would stare up at the stars with one of his friends on, on some of the excursions and journeys that he was on. And he, after like, you know, nights of just talking about all big picture stuff, the stuff that he wants to do, that they want to do together, how they're going to conquer the, you know, the world and just do some amazing things together. He looks up at the night sky as they're camping out. Theodore Roosevelt uh, walks softly, carry a big stick, just big outdoorsman. He's looking up at the sky, looking up at all the stars, and he says, that is a spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It's the largest in our Milky Way. It's one of 100 million galaxies, and it is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And he says this, he says, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. See, we can make it all about us and our whole life can be so big, but we got to realize that we're just a small piece of this puzzle that God is putting together. We all play a special role and play a special part, but in the great scheme of things, we're just small things. So instead of laying under the stars, soaking in the glow of the stars when we go to bed, I think sometimes we we look at our phones and we fall asleep to our phones and the glow of our phones and we get so in, entranced with social media and we start to look at the things that maybe we don't have. 
we look at people and we look at their lives and we compare lives, you know, our, our highlight, or their highlight stories to our lives and we know about all the things that are happening in our lives and we just look at all the great things that people are filtering out and they post on social media. And we start to compare ourselves and we start to think, man, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm all these things that I'm not. When God says, listen, you're a part of this, You've, I've got a special plan for you and it's far bigger than what you can even understand and comprehend. It's waiting and trusting on him. It's important at this time that we build ourselves uh, a spirit of awareness of just who we are and what God is doing. It's waiting on him and trusting his planned, plan. I think about this chair and I think about how we can change our position We've talked about position of prayer. We've talked about position of who we are and, and what God might be doing and, and how we need to be in a position and, and hold our posture of just be expecting. But I think that if we were to really tune in and, and recognize that, that you know, we are just a small role in this and God is doing so much more things that we can even under, than we can even understand, that there's a certain level of trust that can play into this. There's a Bible verse, it's, a, it's Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, where it says, trust in, in, in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, but, but follow him and understand that he's got a plan for your path, a plan for your life. And I think that sometimes we, if, we, if we were smart enough, we would, we would move away from the edge of our seats because this is, this, is, this is like, when, I, when I'm listening to somebody intently in a conversation, you can tell, because I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat. When anybody's telling us a story, we're on the edge of our seat, we're listening. But what if, for a moment, we could just sit back in our chair and just lean back and relax? There's a major change in posture here. And it's a major change in the way that we can view hope. And to understand that, you know what? I might not have it all figured out, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lean, not necessarily forward, but I'm gonna lean back in my trust, believing that God's gonna do something special because I know that he will. I can expect it. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.